And this is a true story. I do know a man who will be preaching this morning to a small congregation. And he doesn't believe in the physical, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said this morning he's going to, he's going to preach on resurrection as some abstract, universal idea of hope and new life. I am glad you are not there this morning. This morning we're going to engage the idea of a very specific, very concrete, very particular bodily resurrection of the Son of God, which has very specific and very particular, very concrete implications for you and I. It's not a general idea of hope. It's a hope that is so concrete so certain that it makes a difference in our lives now here on this earth. For it is said that even by some Christians that if Jesus' tomb were found, His body was still in it, and there was no doubt that it was Jesus' body, their Christian faith would not be bothered at all. I guess that's okay, but the Apostle Paul didn't see it that way. Paul argues that if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is worthless. What we are doing here this morning is ridiculous. Because we're still in our sins and we have no hope. On the other hand, Paul says that if Jesus Christ, or since Jesus Christ, has been raised from the dead, to say the least, it is somewhat significant. You see, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then this life is all that matters, and you should, and you could, do whatever it is that you want to do. And if you wanted to be religious, you could pick the Muslim faith, go down broad, take a left on millage, go into the mosque, you could pray three times a day, you could could abide by the five pillars of the faith, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. Or another true story, I met a Hindu at Home Depot yesterday, he said anybody can be a Hindu, you just have to try not trying to minimize these religions, but if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then it doesn't really matter what religion you are. Maybe you don't want to be religious. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, you can go downtown on a Friday evening. You can hit the bars. You can drink as much as you want to drink. You could do all sorts of things. Maybe you don't want to be that irreligious. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then you are free to make up your own standards. You can be nice to whoever you want to be nice to. You can be mean 
to whoever you want to be mean to. You can fight with all your heart for whatever it is you think you desire most. And maybe, maybe you might get it. On the other hand, because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, there's more to life than this. And our passage that we're going to look at, these two verses from Hebrews chapter 13, speaks to what God the Father has done through the life, the death, the resurrection of His Son, and what it means particularly for you and me. For those who believe, a new life is given, even in the here and now, through God's Spirit. Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is truly good news. Let's look at our passage. It's printed for you in your bulletins. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the last chapter, the letter of the Hebrews. It's just simply two verses. Let me read them to us this morning. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20. This is God's Word to us, His self-revelation of who He is and what He's done. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God's word. Let's pray. Father, in and of ourselves this morning as we come to your word without your spirit, we have no hope of understanding what it is you've done for us through and in Jesus Christ. So we ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would help us to understand our great salvation, help us to better better come to grips with what the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly means, not simply for us, but for this world. Help us to understand that Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Help us to understand that simply because we're breathing here this morning does not mean that we are truly alive. Help us, Father, and give us life even now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you only have two verses, so it's going to be a quick sermon. I realized I was, I was talking to Matt and Rob over the week, and I think I could have three or four sermons on the God of peace. I could have three or four sermons on... The shepherd of the sheep. I could have three or four sermons on the blood of the eternal covenant. In fact, I could have three or four sermons on the blood, three or four sermons on the eternal covenant. And that's just verse 20. Realize that the the letter to the Hebrews does not say much about the resurrection. In fact, this verse here, verse 20, is the only explicit reference to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ in the letter. Hebrews, the emphasis is on the death of Jesus Christ and His exaltation. The author doesn't talk that much about the resurrection because Jesus' exaltation means that He has been raised from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, He is exalted. 
He's King of kings and Lord of lords. His resurrection is proof that life's greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. And it's the reason why our passage begins with describing God by a God of peace. Peace. It's related to the, the, the Hebrew word that we're very familiar with, shalom. It's the idea of complete and full prosperity of the whole person, total well-being. Connected to the idea of being blessed. Connected to the idea of being righteous. Peace is experiencing rightness, being made right. If you have peace, then everything is right with your Creator. Everything is right with the world and other people, and everything is right with yourself. If you have peace, there is a sense of restful trust, a lack of concern. Not in the sense that we don't care about anything, but a lack of concern knowing that everything is okay. Does the peace of God resonate with you? No worries, no doubt. In some measure, I think we all seek peace. We seek peace as individuals. We seek peace in our families. We seek peace in the community of Athens. And we do seek peace in the world. You see, in this verse and all throughout the Bible, God is described as the great peacemaker. He's the one who's able to to get rid of or dispel distrust, disillusionment. God is the one who grants His people peace so that when God grants His people peace, they can affect peace with their neighbors. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. And I do think that we have a hard time with peace. And the reason that I think we have a hard time with peace is because you know that we want this peace and we don't have this peace because we're always trying oh so hard to get that peace. Are we not? We distract ourselves. We, we fool ourselves. We try hard to convince ourselves that we're okay. And no matter how hard we try, something creates this angst in us. We blame other people. We blame even ourselves. We blame our situations. We blame our circumstances because always something is getting at our peace, taking away our peace. And and the biggest place that we see this lack of peace that we desire so greatly is in facing death. Death casts a shadow over us all the time. If you're a member of Redeemer, you know that last Tuesday we came face to face with death in a funeral. Rob and Matt did an, and the others that participated did an excellent job. They reminded us that death is our greatest enemy. I mean, we do try to make ourselves feel better about death, don't we? We, we speak of passing instead of dying. We talk about going to a better place. Even as Rob said in his sermon last Tuesday, people say things like, they will always be with you in your heart. 
Not minimizing those things, but I do want to draw your attention to the fact that those are all very inadequate. We engage in moments of silence. But you do realize that moments of silence do nothing for the person who has died. In the end, death is bad. There's no way to spin it. Death is the great taker of peace. Death is the great enemy. We're all going to die, and no matter how you slice it, it's not good. I mean, from the world's perspective, where is the peace in death? From the world's perspective, we're just gone. And and I don't know about you, but I just don't want to go. I want more than being gone. Here we have the God of peace coming as the Father raises the Son from the dead. This is the peace of the Gospel. The peace that Paul speaks about that surpasses all understanding. We have a God of peace who brings His Gospel of peace. And the Gospel of peace is described like this. God brings from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus Christ our Lord. God raises the great shepherd of the sheep. Should remind you, if you're familiar with your, with your Bibles, God's word, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who lays down his life for the sheep in order that he might take it up again. And realize, in Hebrews, the writer has already described who this great shepherd of the sheep is. It'd be a great exercise for you and your family after lunch to go back and read Hebrews 1 and 2 because the great shepherd of the sheep is described like this. He is the one in whom God has spoken His final word, Jesus Christ. He is the agent of creation, the radiance of God's glory, The sustainer of all things. He came to earth. He took on flesh. He was born fully man and yet fully God. And even though we can't completely explain it, that Jesus Christ was born of a woman, miraculously through the Holy Spirit, this Jesus, He grew in wisdom and knowledge and stature with God and men. He identifies with His people at His baptism. He was tempted just like you and I are, yet without sin. He learned obedience through suffering. The shepherd of the sheep, one person, two natures, not to be confused, the two natures, not changing one nature from or into another, without division. He is fully man because it was man that created the lack of peace. And yet He's fully God because only God could fix that lack of peace. God in the person of Jesus Christ comes to do what you and I cannot do. This shepherd of the sheep should remind you of a very familiar psalm. The shepherd of the sheep that brings forth this peace is all about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. That's peace. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That is peace. 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is peace. Surely goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life. The God of peace through the shepherd of the sheep. How does God bring peace through the shepherd of the sheep? It's through the blood of the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant is God's pact where the persons of the Trinity before the creation of time, before you and I were born, before Genesis 1, God the Father comes together and promises to to plan out our redemption, our salvation. God the Son will accomplish that redemption. And God the Holy Spirit applies that redemption. The persons of the Trinity working all through the blood. Why the blood? We sang of the blood this morning. What's, what's the deal with the blood? Let me explain it this way. If you and I have a relationship, and I do something to break that relationship, Somebody has to pay to fix that relationship if we want to have a relationship of peace. I will either have to pay the price or you will have to pay the price. Not necessarily financially, but in terms of the relationship, the cost is determined by the degree of damage that's created by my actions. If I'm the one that broke the relationship, the bigger the separation, the greater the cost. Right? So so let's use something simple. It's another true illustration. If you were to bring a sandwich and you worked here at the church and you put it in the refrigerator in the office back there, and I snuck in and ate your sandwich, you will either have to get a new sandwich, you will either have to go hungry, or I will have to buy you a new sandwich. Either way, somebody's going to have to pay for that sandwich, right? It's a lighthearted example to clarify a very serious point. If God created us as human beings and we are the creature, we are obligated to live with our Creator in the way that He has determined that is best for us. Instead of living the way that He has determined that is best for us, we go and we say, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Man breaks the relationship with his Creator. And when man breaks the relationship with his Creator, life without his Creator is death. Spiritually speaking, man doing what he wanted broke the relationship and now he is dead. You see, we're not dealing with sandwiches here, we're dealing with life. There's no way for man to fix it because he's already dead, so God has to come fix it. Hence the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. He has to be a man because man is the one that's at fault. He has to be God because man can't fix it because man is already dead. You do realize that just because, even as I prayed, just because you are breathing this morning does not mean that you are living at peace with God. And if you're not living with peace in peace with God, you are dead. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. John Stott says, God gave himself, or God himself gave himself 
to save us from Himself. Without the shedding of blood, there is no peace. The price of that peace is the blood of God Himself and the person of Jesus Christ. And the evidence that the blood worked is the resurrection. If Jesus Christ stays in the grave, then not only are we dead, or not only is He dead, but we remain dead as well. But with Jesus' resurrection, the one who came for us, the great shepherd of the sheep, we now know that death has been defeated, the price for our peace has been paid, the effects of of the break in our relationship, the effects of our sin is no longer with us, it no longer wins, it is done, and death no longer has any power over us. The God of peace raises from the dead the great shepherd by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, we need to think about what that means for you and for me. That is a very concrete, specific, particular resurrection from the dead. What does it particularly mean for you and me? We need to know that before we move on to verse 21, and let's look at it this way. John Calvin describes faith, the faith that we have in the great shepherd of the sheep, He describes it as a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence to us. That's what faith is. Do you hear that? A firm and certain knowledge that God loves us. So the question that you need to consider this morning is, why do we doubt? Does that mean that we don't believe? Does that mean that we're not saved? Does that mean that we don't have any hope? Consider why you doubt for a moment. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, he says there are several reasons that we human beings doubt. Doubt God's benevolence to us. One of them could be because we simply lack knowledge. We don't know enough about this God who created us. Sometimes we doubt because we like to keep our own ideas of right and wrong. We're kind of rebels at heart, right? If, if you think you know what's best for your life, Um, you're going to doubt God. Because you think you know more than God. It's still understandable. More often we doubt because we have a lack of maturity. We're all learning still. Most often, though, I think we doubt because of some personal crisis. Some family crisis. We doubt sometimes when we lose a loved one. We don't believe that God is really for us if something bad like that happens to us. We doubt uh, sometimes because, because we experience suffering and pain and hurt. Maybe you're a victim of abuse here this morning and you doubt God's goodness. Those are all valid, are they not? Some more than others, but they are valid We doubt because we have a hard time with believing that our God is for us. To use Calvin's words, we don't always have a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence to us. And ultimately, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the serpent. Remember what his first words were to Eve? Did God really say? Does God really know best? He's got to be holding back on you, Adam and Eve. 
And what you see in verse 20, what we just read, is that God has done everything in the death and resurrection of Christ for you to know that your God is for you. The gospel, listen to this now, the gospel is designed to deliver us from the lie of the serpent. Did God really say? The gospel reveals that we can trust God because He gives us all that He is. He gives us His Son, the great shepherd of the sheep, to die for us on the cross so that we'd be forgiven of our sins. And then He gives us His Spirit, that same Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead so that we can experience the same resurrection life that Jesus experienced. We no longer have to doubt God's goodness to us because we have the Son and the Spirit and it's in Christ Jesus that we have died and it's in Him that we live. God comes along and says, in Christ Jesus, you no longer have any reason to doubt. You see, when God reveals this to our minds through His Spirit, when God sets it on our hearts through His Spirit, when we come to understand the truth that God has raised the great shepherd of the sheep from the dead, then we are able to understand and be certain of God's favor to us, of God's benevolence to us, of God's grace to us. And only then are we ready for the rest of the passage. God the Father who is the God of peace, raises from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant so that we would know He is for us. And now that we know that He is for us, verse 21, we are equipped with every good thing to do His will as He works in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ equips us with every good thing to do His will as He works in us that which is most pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. What is it that is most pleasing to God? It's not us doing His will. I'm not saying that's not pleasing to God. That's not what is most pleasing to God. What is most pleasing to God the Father is the death and resurrection of the Son because that is what delivers His people from the lie of Satan. What is most pleasing to God the Father is the death and resurrection of His Son and that is what is being worked out in us by His Spirit. The gospel of peace with with, with man through the blood of the eternal covenant is the death and resurrection of the Son being applied to us by the Holy Spirit. It's being worked out in you if you are a Christian. As you see God's favor, His grace given to you in Jesus Christ, the power of Christ's death and resurrection is exactly what equips you to do His will. All because His death is ours and His life in our, is ours. We don't just go out and start doing His will on Monday morning. We don't just go out on Monday morning starting to think God's thoughts. 
You rest in the peace and the love that God has given you through the death and resurrection of the great shepherd of the sheep. And then His Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, creates in us a new love for God. And a new love for God pours out in a new life. That is what's most beautiful in God's sight. You realize eternal life is not simply quantity of, of years that's going to take place later. Eternal life is a quality of life that begins now and will last forever and only get better and better, better for the believer because Jesus' death is working in you and Jesus' life is working in you. And He takes us breathing dead people and breathes new spiritual life in us so where we are raised from the dead and we start loving God and His Son even as God the Father does. New life means this, you can look to all that God has given to you in Himself. You can rest in the peace that God provides in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And you are filled with the power of His resurrection life, which is none other than the life of Jesus Christ in you through His Spirit. And that same gospel life will pour out through you. And as that gospel life pours out through you, you will become more faithful. You will become more loving. You will become more trusting. You will become more kind, merciful, and obedient. And the way this works out practically is is you take whatever it is that's taking away your peace and you place it at the cross of Christ and you give it to Jesus Christ. And in His death, He swallows up what's ever bad, your sin. And He takes whatever is good and He raises it to new life and His Spirit breathes that life into you and you wake up a new son or daughter of the living God and you are equipped with every good thing to do His will because His death and resurrection is working out what is most pleasing to Him. Christ has been raised from the dead and He now lives. He not only lives at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly heavens, but He lives in your heart and in your soul through the Holy Spirit now. That's what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We have no more reason to doubt God's goodness to us because God Himself has died. He's died for us and He's been raised a new life and in His new life we live. That's what Paul again says in Romans 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. You see, look, you no longer have to worry about death and sin. You no longer have to fear fighting for your own peace. Because God has provided it in His Son and we rest in what God has done. You still need to work hard, but you know what you work hardest at? You work hardest at knowing that your God is for you. You work hard at seeing Jesus Christ dying for your sins and then being raised to a new life and in His life you live. 
It's what it means to take every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. We are called to look to our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, who died to sin and now we live in righteousness. No wonder the author here breaks out into doxology and he says, Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we too are dead in our sins and nothing matters. If Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then everything matters. The more we take our doubts to the cross of Christ and see the Son of God dying for us, even dying for our doubts knowing that He did not remain in the grave, but was raised on our behalf. It's when we look to the risen Savior, we will become more and more certain of God's love for us. If you're more and more certain of God's love for you, it will lead to less doubt. Less doubt leads to new love. And new love leads to new life. It's a resurrection life in Christ. His life is ours. The resurrection matters. Do you believe? Take your doubts. Cast them at the foot of the cross. See Jesus Christ swallow that sin and that doubt and be raised a new life. Paul says it best in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against you, God's elect? It is God the one who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, He is the one who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness or danger or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because He is risen. Let's pray. Our great God of peace who did bring up from the dead our great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of His eternal covenant. Father, we ask now that You would work in us that which is most pleasing in Your sight, which is the death and resurrection of Your beloved Son. That we would be equipped with every good thing to do Your will. Father, help us this day. Help us to see your love for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.